what makes specialty coffee, I think what it is, is the fact that like one, there's farmers and producers all across the world that are making this product and this commodity essentially. And most Folgers or Starbucks coffee is as cheap as you can possibly get in the largest volume you possibly can get. And yeah, mass produced because it's efficient and it's cheap in it's profit driven in that sense. Specialty coffee is how can we get the absolute best tasting coffee and then, you know, have it be produced well, have it be processed well, milled well, and then, you know, imported to us to where then we roast it and then can get that end customer. And so that I think is kind of what specialty coffee is. I love giving someone a coffee and then being like, whoa, this is, yeah, like that response. I'm like, yes, like you're getting it. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for optimizing not only your performance, but also your habits and routines as well. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Today, I have a great, exciting podcast, at least personally, and I think you guys will get a lot from it as well. I have on Tyler Ellison. He is the owner and roaster here at Storyline Coffee Roasters based in Buena Vista, Colorado. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to uh, do the show. Absolutely. One funny thing about uh, Buena Vista is I kept thinking it was Buena Vista. It is Buena Vista. It is. Yeah. Bune, no, I'm lying. I don't okay, because for, for a it. second, it's Buena Vista. Yeah. Here's how I. I've, this is sad because I've lived here a long time, or seven years now. Yeah. But it's beautiful. So if you just stop beautiful short, it's uh, Buena okay. Vista. That's the way you think about it. Yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's how I remember. <laughs> well, it, yeah, because yeah, for a while, my wife and I kept saying that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to uh, Buena Vista, or I'd say Buena Vista. And then we looked it up because uh, her clients at the gym she works at kept saying, oh, no, it's Buna. Yeah. And I was like, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. But then uh, she looked it up and like the newscaster or like someone who's in like the council of the city was like, this is how it's technically pronounced. Um, so, yeah, it was a German woman. And so that's why it's Buna, not Buena. There's a lot of uh, that's, that's interesting. You mentioned it's German. There's a lot of things that are in Colorado that are uh, they seem Spanish related, like the Spanish language, you know. Um, you know, like Pueblo and there's, there's yeah. like a million things in Colorado Springs. Yeah, like Monte Vista. Yeah, yeah, all that yeah. Kind of stuff. You know the yep. deal. But uh, anyway, I, I want to dig right into it. What, where did you get your start with coffee? What made you fall in love with it? Because mm. I feel like we all have some kind of like story where, oh, coffee's more than just this bitter thing my dad's drinking. So uh, yeah, take it. Yeah. Away. So we, I fell in love with coffee. A long time ago, it was actually from when Starbucks first started doing reserve blends. I had an Ethiopian natural coffee that I was like, whoa, like this is actually really great without like a bunch of cream sugar and flavoring it. And so that kind of got me really into the coffee world. Um, But a buddy of mine, we actually had always been entrepreneurial, always wanted to kind of do our own thing. Um, and so we started roasting coffee on a barbecue grill. It was a super ghetto setup. We had a drum that was attached to an extender bit that then went to an electric drill, like hand drill that we had like hair ties to keep it going. And, uh, so we started roasting coffee that way, ordered from sweet Maria's green and just, um, started getting into that way, gave it away to friends and family because um, we didn't think it'd be that good. And mm-hmm. we started drinking. I'm like, whoa, this is actually like really pretty good coffee. And yeah. so um, we started Sip Coffee, I think like seven, almost eight years ago. Um, 
And that's kind of like our starting point. We then kind of grew from there to be able to, um, we had a connection with a private Christian school. They had Mm -hmm. a tabletop Diedrich roaster. And so they're like, oh, this sits here like unused. Like we'd love just to get it, like let you guys use it and you know, whatever. And so that kind of let us expand to be able to, um, you know, <clears throat> grow what we were doing and kind of make it a little bit more viable of business and kind of continue to progress from there. And so yeah. that's kind of the the launching point for uh, what is now Storyline. Yeah, well, I, I love it because I think a friend of mine has a similar kind of, you know, batch brew at home, like with supplement kind of story. But I love those authentic stories where it is like, we don't know what we're doing. This wasn't planned. We're just doing it for ourselves and we do it in the most kind of ghetto or, or, you know, right. makeshift way. I feel like those are the, the stories that end up, they, they teach you a lot of lessons and they have like a, this like authenticity to them, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. We then like continued to grow sip. Um, I got married, um, in 2016, we got married April 17 of 2016. So yeah. it's always really easy to flip those flip numbers. numbers. But, yeah. um, so we got married shortly after we both quit our jobs and did coffee full time. So mm-hmm. we started a coffee trailer um, and we basically had a route to like through the Denver Tech Center area to office buildings that we do throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And we did tons of events like weddings. Uh, we were in a car dealership. We would do, you know, private events and yeah. things. Well, that was uh, one question I was going to ask because I know I've seen the trailer on Instagram. So was, was that, you know, you were you just brewing and serving coffee or were you also still roasting at the time and roasting or brewing what you were roasting? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So we, at that time we were sharing a roaster with another coffee roaster in Castle Rock, Lost Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a Diedrich IR7, um, which allowed us to do like 10 to 15 pounds at a given time, 10 to 12 really. But and so capacity wise, we kind of were able to really, still do a lot of wholesale accounts. We were making our own cold brew. Mm -hmm. We were doing our own uh, house chai. We were doing syrups. And so it was a lot that we were doing to kind of meet our wholesale needs as well as the events. Um, And they fed each other. And it... The business kind of really took off and grew super quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But it grew kind of quicker than we could grow with it. Yeah. Um, I think we learned... As far as like... (sighs) planning and operations or like, you know, like we should have hired people and started. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We should have hired people, started handing things off of like, you know, if I wanted to still roast, like, okay, I'll roast. We need someone to run our trailer or vice versa. And so I just didn't have the like business maturity to kind of, and it was our baby. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I, uh, I'm the the exact same way to give a little like preface to, to my background, you know, I briefly mentioned owning a gym and that was mm-hmm. the biggest mistake I made was, uh, and it was successful as yours was as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as it is your baby, as you're so excited, as you're used to doing everything as an entrepreneur, what mm-hmm. happens is you end up taking on way more than you should. And just because mm-hmm. you can do it all, doesn't mean you should do it all. And I, I ran into the same mistake where, you know, I, I should have been hiring and delegating because we could afford it, we could do it. And it would mm-hmm. allow me to plan more for the business and do other yeah. things and have more sanity. But uh, as as you know uh, all too well, it doesn't work out that way if you when you're trying to do it all yourself. Totally, and I think the biggest thing I learned from that is just the understanding of do what you're really great at yeah. and do that alone, and then hire people that are really great at specific things to take yeah. that off your plate. 
and it was hard, I think, because it was so stressful for my wife and I. I'm like, like, how do you expect someone to like parallel park a trailer in downtown Denver at like 16th street? You know, it's like, Mm. like this is so stressful and overwhelming for us just to get set up in this place. Like, how do I hire someone and expect that they, you know, the hard hard part is trusting other people to not only do the job, but do it the same way you would do it. So you have these expectations that, you know, they're going to do it the exact same way that you want to. And the problem with that is too, that it's like, it's your baby. It's not their baby. So then you're, you're, you're worried that they're not going to treat with the same care and have the same enthusiasm. And yeah, that's a whole nother problem of hiring for sure. And I think the biggest thing is just like having that expectation when you hire someone of like, I love this, I'm passionate about it and not having the expectation that they're going to be on the same level. Right. Like, yeah you know, most, you gotta be realistic. About yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. And if you're able to do that, I think it frees you to be like, okay, this is my expectations. I don't expect you to be like thinking about this at 10 o'clock at night. Like yeah. I do, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, because you're absolutely. not going to, right? Like you're going to wake up, you're going to go where you're told to go and do the job the best that you can as most people, yeah. but they don't have this like passion and drive that a lot of entrepreneurs do. And so, Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's freeing to be able to be like, Hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do it the best you can. And that takes a ton off of my plate to then focus on other things. So, um, yeah, it grew really well and just, we continued to expand and it continued to get harder and harder for us. We were also just like, you know, working in a six foot by four foot box, like 24 mm-hmm. seven, you know, newly married. And so just a lot of stress. And yeah. That's another thing. Owning a business with a spouse that I can relate to that. It's, you know, it's great to see each other all the time, but you also need personal space. But the problem is you go to work, you're at the same spot, you go home, you're at the same spot. And mm-hmm. yeah, that can be, it can be difficult. Yeah. And <laughs> just the stress of like, and, you know, we were making money and able mm-hmm. to pr- provide for ourselves, but financially it was, because it's all or nothing, right? Like if this thing doesn't go well, like that's it. Like yeah. we, we don't have another source of income. We don't have other things. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it was a great time. We made awesome connections and we're able to, to really grow and learn a lot about like, okay, what, what do I love about coffee? What do I love about this business? Mm-hmm. And then, so we sold, we changed the name and sold kind of the operation side of it. So like the trailer, mm-hmm. some accounts and things like that. So sold that and then ended up moving up to Buena Vista and um, kind of restarted. I missed coffee and missed that world. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we kind of relaunched Storyline with the understanding of like, okay, this isn't our full income. This isn't everything that yeah. it is. Like I have a job, I have things that are going to provide for us and I can start this kind of side hustle in what I want to do and love to do. There's a lot more comfort in doing that. And I was the same way. Like even, you know, I just told you I do work as a freelance video editor and I did that before and through owning the gym and that, you know, added stress, but it, it gives you comfort that when you go into the business, you're not from day one stressing about, you know, green lining and like making sure you're not going into debt and have all these loans and you know that you do have some of that security there is a benefit, I think, going like all in on things, but at the totally. same time, it's not for everyone and it doesn't always work out, obviously. Yeah. So having a little bit of uh, security gives you, I think, more more comfort and it might be the ability to pursue these passions with more uh, fervor and, and confidence yeah. when you do it that way. I want to hold on the on the, uh, the business side of things because I definitely yeah. want to get more into that, especially into the pandemic and after that and to modern day. But let's break down a little bit about like what specialty coffee is and what's different mm. uh, versus, uh, you know, what, what's story, what's the difference between Storyline Coffee versus 
a bag of uh, folders I pick up at the store. So break sure. down, you know, not that one's right or wrong, you know, because yeah. I'm sure some, everyone to each his own, right? A hundred percent. But what's the difference between specialty coffee and, you know, generic or, or everything else you would call it? Yeah. So I think the biggest difference in what separates it is the producer and the quality, right? So what makes specialty coffee, I think what it is, is the fact that like one, there's farmers and producers all across the world that are making this product and this commodity essentially. And most Folgers or Starbucks coffee is as cheap as you can possibly get in the largest volume you possibly can yeah, get. Mass in, produced, yeah, yeah. mass produced because it's efficient and it's cheap in it's profit driven in that mm-hmm. sense. Specialty coffee is how can we get the absolute best tasting coffee and then, you know, have it be produced well, have it be processed well, milled well, and then, you know, imported to us to where then we roast it Mm -hmm. and then can get that in customer. Um, What I love about specialty coffee is it's similar to like beer and wine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think beer is the best example for people because, you know, like you drink a Coors Light regularly and then all of a sudden you try this like pale ale and you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, like what is this? Like this is weird. It's yeah. hoppy. It's bitter. It's totally different. Yeah. But there's so much more that goes into it. It's not mass produced. It's someone that has selected the hops and the wheat and the marley, yeah. like all that stuff that goes into it that makes it that much better. Yeah. Um, and so that I think is kind of what specialty coffee is. I love giving someone a coffee and then being like, Whoa, this is, yeah, like that response. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, well, like dude, you're getting it. Yeah, exactly. The, the way I describe it to people is most, most will drink, you know, their diner coffee, their McDonald's, whatever they get it from. And, you know, coffee tastes like coffee, right? You people, right. people go, oh, that tastes like coffee. Well, what does that mean? It typically means like bitter for people. Uh, but in reality, you know, I explain to people, you know, coffee can taste like a million different things. You can taste it and mm-hmm. taste strawberries. You can taste it and get this chocolatey flavor. You can taste it. You can get, you know, acidic, you know, you, different kinds of acidity. You can get like a malic acid. Mm-hmm. You can get a more citric acid. Yeah. It can be so many things. And another thing you kind of mentioned on earlier that I wanted to uh, pick up on is the idea that most people feel like they have to add something to coffee mm-hmm. for it to taste good yeah. because coffee is perceived as this just bitter source of energy that everyone just drinks. And so they pound it with sugar and cream, which has its own like health consequences. (laughs) But just as far as taste, like you don't need that. If it's actually good coffee, it should be good on its own. And that's what I try and explain to people. Yeah. And I think that's what I love when someone's like, wait, like these tasting notes and like this tastes like there's blueberry in this coffee. I'm like, like, what did you add to it? What did you add to it? They think it's additives. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like nothing like that's. And that's what I love is to be able to inform someone and not be like off putting about it. Like that's to me a huge thing that like, I think specialty coffee is fighting against uh, across the industry, which I love to see is just this pushback of like, Hey, if you drink coffee and dump a bunch of, you know, creamer Mm -hmm. and flavoring into it, like that's fine. But like, let me just introduce you to this world in a welcoming environment in an, in an understanding of like, and just let you try it. And then if, if you have questions, I can then kind of explain like, well, because it's a natural process coffee, like that's why you're getting more of those fruit flavors mm-hmm. is because it's the actual cherry that's around the coffee bean is left on yeah. it and it's dried. That's imparting some of those fruit flavors into it. And so 
being able to kind of understand and educate around mm. why they're tasting what they're tasting and that you can get a coffee that tastes like caramel naturally mm. without adding a caramel flavor creamer or caramel flavoring to it. And so um, that's, I think, what kind of sets specialty apart. And it's it's that we, I think a lot of people want to be able to pay those farmers and producers a livable wage for the time mm. and effort that they're putting into this product that actually can sustain them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like all of, there's so many hands that touch the coffee before you drink it at home, mm-hmm. whether that be producers and then the people that hand select the cherries yeah. and then it gets processed and then it gets imported and then yeah. I get it and I roast it and then I bring it to you and then you make it at home. Like, and then some people spend like 10, 15, 20 minutes yes, making it yeah, at home. Yeah. And so it's like, there's so much time and effort and hands that have gone into this beverage uh-huh. and it is beautiful to kind of like be able to share, which is really why we went with the name storyline is to be able to share that story in the, the lines of people and everything that's gone into it. And then also connect that to people's stories in their lives. Yeah. And, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what storyline is. Great. Well, you, we just answered a question. I didn't have it on, but my wife actually asked was, what, what, why is it called storyline? Well, there you go. Yeah. But no, I love that. It, it is this like massive network that, where it goes all the way from, you know, plant from farm to your cup. And, you know, it's, I was telling my wife in the car, you know, one thing I was explaining to someone else was you, modern day, you can just press a button, you know, Keurig, which I, I want to get mm-hmm. to your experiment with that you did with Keurig, but yeah. you just press a button on Keurig. You have your cup, uh, my dad will prefer that 10 times out of 10 over my coffee. He, he t- threw out my coffee and said it sucked. But, you know, to each his own. As you mentioned, there's no yeah. right or wrong. You, all you can do is educate people and here's an option. And if they like it or don't like it or add stuff or don't stuff, it's all, you know, personal preference there. But, uh, you know, in a day and age where you can press a button and get a coffee, there are the other people that are interested in this massive network, this massive, you know, relationship system to where, you know, you have these local farmers, they're harvesting these beans, they're getting shipped to you, a roaster, a local roaster, small businesses roasting them, you're buying from them and supporting that business who's supporting the farmers. And then, you know, you're going home with that, you're, you're grinding the beans to preserve the freshness, you are taking your home brew method, you get the filter, there's, there's all these steps, right? You're, you got your scale, all these different steps just to brew one cup of coffee where you could have just pressed a button. And I think there's something beautiful about appreciating the process Mm -hmm. about supporting all these different uh, individuals and entities. And, you know, not only do you get a better cup out of it, but you have this different appreciation for something that was kind of handcrafted and and that Mm -hmm. took effort to create. Yeah. And I think that's in such an instant culture that we live in, right? Like Instagram and everything is just so immediate and instant. Amazon is two day shipping. Like I want things now. I don't have to work for it. I think there's a lot of pushback on like, there's something beautiful to routine and Mm -hmm. to putting time and effort into something. And I think that if you can take a deep dive into any industry, really, whether it be running or fly fishing or anything like that. And if you, Mm -hmm. if you go deep into it, there's really beautiful, um, meaningful things that go into each step and each part of the process and understanding Mm -hmm. like with fishing, like, Hey, this is the hatch that's occurring. And these are the flies I'm going to select and I'm tying my own flies. And Mm -hmm. these are the materials I'm using. And there's this process and there's this, um, effort and 
energy that's put into it that is really rewarding yeah. as opposed to just like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with an instant caffeine fix. Like mm. I, I have no problem with someone who does a Keurig or yeah. does whatever. Cause like, that's fine. Everyone like, goes into it for different reasons. Some people drink coffee purely for the caffeine and energy. Mm-hmm. I think what we both uh, view it for and what we kind of offer as an opportunity for people is to look at it as an enjoyable beverage as, as a process mm-hmm. rather than just like a quick drug. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, you know, like the rabbit hole that is specialty coffee, yeah, you <laughs> slip down quick, right? Yeah. Like, and I, I love like telling people, I'm like, Hey, I'm just warning you. Like if you want to, if you want to take a step or two, like before yeah. you know it, like you're going to be down the rabbit well, hole. Well, the, the uh, last podcast I filmed Thursday, I was telling my wife this story. So, you know, I walk in and I, I'm the same way with everyone. You know, he offered me coffee and I was like, well, like, how do you brew it? You know, and if it's, if it's like pot or Keurig, which it was going to be, I'm, you know, I politely, I'm like, I'm all right, you know? And, uh, and then he's like, well, we have a Chemex. I'm like, okay. So he, he digs in the back of the cabinet, gets a Chemex. And I'm like, okay, well, what kind of coffee do you have? Well, he had like one bag that looked like it was from a nice roaster, mm-hmm. but the roast date was 2021. So I was like, okay. all right. And then he had a Trader Joe's bag. I was like, that'll work. And it's pre-ground, but I'm like... It's my only option. So I grabbed <laughs> yeah. that. And then he has uh, he had to go get his uh, girlfriend to grab. She thought they were napkins, but they're Chemex filters. So she goes <laughs> and gets those from some other room. And then he, I asked him, like, oh, do you have a scale? And so he gets the scale out that's like this weird. It's not digital. And it's, you know, you got to like set the zero. And it's almost like an old school like body weight Press, scale. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it just threw me off. And, you know, but to your <laughs> point, what I'm trying to articulate is there is, is there is this rabbit hole where, you know, Oh, you want to brew at home where it's like, what brewing device do you get? Do you get a gooseneck kettle? And like, what kind of scale you have? Okay. You're going to go by the 10th of a gram and you know, what grind size and okay. You're going to do a, you know, burr grinder or blade grinder. Like there's right. a million ways you can go. And we're not even getting to the world of espresso and different totally. methods like that. But it's, it, it is truly a rabbit hole. One thing I want to dig into and get, get you to explain and, and share with people is the uh, cupping process. And I'll mm. preface this mm-hmm. with, my story that I told you I'd tell you about how I got into specialty coffee. So uh, my wife and I, come for coming from Richmond, Virginia, there's a roaster named Blanchard's. Uh, it's been around for a while, I think since 05. And uh, they do public cuppings every Friday, or what is it, every Saturday? No, every Friday at like 10 a.m. they did before the pandemic. And uh, so we saw that. We're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, we just go and taste some coffee. So I was expecting, you know, I'd walk in and they'd have a bunch in like a cup and I'd just be tasting them. And I was like, okay, that'd be fun. We get there like a few minutes late, walk in and everyone's walking around in a circle around this table, sniffing coffee. And we're like, what the hell what is did this? I sign up what for? did I just <laughs> yeah. walk into? <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, we, you know, we go through and basically the process is, you know, you go through a few rounds of smelling the different coffees. It's, it's basically like a rectangular table. And, you know, in this instance, you had six coffees set up in a little, you know, glass and you're just smelling the grounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you go through a round of that and then, uh, they go through a process where it's uh, it's more like steeping the coffee right than brewing it, right? Right. So essentially pouring hot water and letting it steep. You go through a process of smelling it uh, again. So going through, noticing how the aroma and the smell and everything like that is changing you're in the differences between the coffees and you're comparing them. And then the last process is they're kind of scraping off the ground, the crust on the top, and then you go through actually tasting. And this is the part where the pandemic kind of ruined the fun for everybody is it's very unsanitary. Yes. But you take over a spoon and you go through a process of slurping the coffee. More than just sipping, it's this kind of obnoxious slurp mm-hmm. that allows you to get the retro nase on everything into it so you can taste the coffee as accurately as possible. And uh, so we go through this whole process and the guy there uh, named John, phenomenal educational uh, 
basically teacher that would run the cuppings and, and that's where I got a lot of my information and excitement for it and curiosity. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was how I got into it. I walked in thinking it was one thing. It was very different, but yeah. tasting those different coffees, tasting something that tastes like strawberry, then the next coffee is more chocolatey, and the next coffee is more like a baked cookie. You know, it's mm-hmm. all these different things. And I was like, wow, like this is this is a crazy, crazy thing I had no yeah. clue about. So walk us through, and I guess I kind of described the cupping process, but you could perhaps expand more. And, and, and also where I wanted to kind of shift the, the question is, how did you go about cupping coffees and selecting which which farmers and farms you're mm. going to work with? Yeah, so there's cupping is like a it's a fascinating process because it is so it's the one like quality control way that specialty coffee like across the board like yeah, it's universal. It. Yeah, it's yeah. universal. They even like there's a coffee lexicon and so they actually mm-hmm. give universal language to how to describe coffee because it's like the circle chart, right? Or pie chart. What is it called? Yeah. So that's like the flavor tasting flavor taste. That's what I'm Yeah, which about. is a super helpful tool. I think that came out around 2014, 15 timeframe. Yeah. And that's really beneficial because it's a visual where you can kind of work from out to in. Like I taste yeah. fruit. Like, okay, well, what kind like of what kind of fruit? <laughs> like, is it berry or is what it kind like, of berry? A, yeah, yeah. It forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, and it helps you kind of work into like, okay, if it's fruit and then it's berry, well, is it a strawberry <laughs> or is it like a raspberry or a blueberry? Yeah. And what's even the difference between like a ripe strawberry and an unripe strawberry yeah. <laughs> or an overripe strawberry. Yeah. And so there's all those things that you can, and I think for people that are in specialty coffee that want to better develop a palate, um, I always encourage to like do a food journal or mm-hmm. even you don't even have to be that particular with it. But like when you taste things or the next time you have a raspberry, yeah. like actually slow down for a second, be present in what you're tasting. And I think that, that kind of going back to what we talked about is there's something beautiful to just being present in what you're doing, Yeah, you know? And so it's actually slowing down and tasting food. It's actually slowing down and making a cup of coffee and understanding what goes into it. It's slowing down and like, you know, even for running, like you're listening Mm -hmm. to the crunching of the snow and like you're present in that moment. Isolating your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something really beautiful to that, Yeah, which is a random side tale. But I, when you actually taste like, okay, this is what a raspberry tastes like. Well, mm-hmm. it's acidic. It's also sweet. It also has some like really fruit notes in it. And mm-hmm. like actually being able to identify like, what does my mouth do to the sides of my tongue want to curl? Like, well, that may be malic acidity or, mm-hmm. you know, the citric acidity where the front of my tongue wants to curl. And so, or my mouth juices, like those mm-hmm. kind of things help you be able to actually identify what you're tasting. Yeah. And that comes across the board with whiskey or wine or I like whatever that tip because it's the it's it's a good point because you're you know you're you're if you're writing an essay your essay is only as good as your vocab right mm-hmm. and if you're tasting something your tasting is only going to be as good as you know what you can reference as what it tastes like right and yeah. so often like we and so the coffee lexicon was built on this idea that like chocolate to us here in america is different in new zealand which Mm -hmm. is different in asia that's a good point yeah but like hershey's chocolate is universal like Mm -hmm. if you get a hershey's chocolate kiss that's going to taste the same anywhere or cheerios like Mm -hmm. that's a universal flavor that like no matter where you go you can identify that and so q grading is a certification you can get in specialty coffee that is basically how to grade coffee Mm -hmm. and so with that you can actually identify out of a hundred, like 
how sweet a coffee is or how clean a coffee is or how, you know, whatever the different yeah. elements of that is. And so that's kind of where cupping comes in. That's what I was going to um, ask. So that's what that, cause I've, I've seen you post on the Instagram. That's what that rating system is. Correct. Okay. Yep. And so that's done and that's done at multiple stages. So a producer can cup a coffee and give their own rating to it. Mm -hmm. Often when it goes to market, that's another time that it'll be Q graded and given a score out of a hundred. And so a coffee above 86 is really high quality mm -hmm. coffee between like 84 and 86 is really good. And then kind of what you're going to get with like a Starbucks or a Folgers or things like that are probably 84, 82 and below. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, Coffees that, and again, it's, it's a standardized thing, but it's, it's subjective. Still subjective. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. like, because what I like may be different than what yeah, you like. That's a tricky and thing. what I think is good. And so that's what I always try to get at is like, well, what, what do you like in a coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do you like a rich, creamy, sweet coffee? Like, okay, great. If that's the case, then I would recommend this coffee and here's why. Um, because that's their own personal flavor preference mm -hmm. where like I prefer a coffee that's juicy and more fruity and mm -hmm. sweet. Like that's my personal, uh, flavors. And it changes with the seasons. When I was in the yeah. summer, you want something that's more delicate and light and tea-like. And then in the, the winter, you want that chocolatey. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so what we try to do for how we select coffees is a lot on how can I get a really good, rich, creamy, chocolatey, caramel, sweet mm -hmm. coffee that will appeal to those people that like that. And how do I get a really acidic and bright and lemon, gotcha. like a lemon drop Should coffee? I get something for everybody? Yeah. And also I want the best quality coffee for each one of those things. Mm -hmm. So I don't just want to get like a lower quality coffee because I think most people are used to bitter, like roasty, mm -hmm. you know, kind of over roasted coffees. And so, but I want the best tasting to where it like tastes like you're drinking a chocolate bar. Um, with nothing added, with yeah. nothing in it. And so, and then being able to roast those coffees, um, particularly to pull out those notes and mm -hmm. to not add anything negative to it. Um, I often, the green coffee is the best it'll ever be. Mm -hmm. And so our job as roasters is to not add anything negative to it and to give it the best chance to reveal it's the highest potential. And so, um, that's kind of how we select coffees. We do a tiered system. Mm -hmm just to kind of help bridge the gap from people that are trying to step into specialty. And then those people that are in specialty coffee and want the best. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so that's kind of our, our tier one is those coffees that are 86 or higher. They're really high quality. They're micro lots. They may have um, different processing methods, whether that be mm -hmm. like an anaerobic or, yeah. or different things that make them really unique and special. And then for the person that's like, Hey, I want, I want something that's better than what I get at the grocery store mm -hmm. or better than I get down the street. And I'm, but I'm not, I'm not really into it. Like yeah. I still use my like Mr. Coffee. Point. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a good point for them to kind of step in on, which is our tier two of like, Hey, this is going to be significantly better. And it's kind of for your everyday coffee drinker. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what we've done. And it also helps, again, feedback to the producers and farmers to make sure that we're not just in specialty coffee, creating this environment where it's unsustainable practices for these farmers to have to do these crazy processing yeah, methods and yeah. it's crazy, but I'm also going to pay good money for good coffee that maybe isn't this 
crazy unrealistic expectation of what they need to do to produce it. Mm -hmm. And so our tier two also helps, you know, support those farmers, support those producers that are still creating really great coffee, but it's, it's sustainable for them. Um, gotcha. So that's kind of our tier system. So. Gotcha. so shifting back to the the business itself, you kind of touched on the origin, the, the, the story of Storyline, but uh, I know you kind of put the business on a pause during the pandemic and that whole 2020 ordeal as a lot of small businesses got hit. So walk us through that whole experience and how it led you end up or how it led you guys to reopen later on. Yeah. So... <clears throat> actually it was kind of ironic like we we had sold our business pre-pandemic we then moved up here i got a job and kind of before the pandemic started i was missing coffee i'd reach out to a couple roasters here like hey can i cup like can i you know like would you let me use your roaster for an hour just per like i've got leftover coffee i'd love to roast and just like give away or whatever Mm -hmm. um and we decided like, man, we had some extra money that we had kind of earned. And I was like, man, I'd love to make my money work for me again. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, so I started looking into small roasters, um, just as like a hobby to kind of get back into. And if, you know, kind of re understanding that like friends, family and people locally, it could grow into a good side mm-hmm. hustle. And so, um, and then the pandemic hit and again, it, it was freeing because I was like, Hey, I'm just doing this because I, I love it. I have the passion for it. You want to not because you need. Yeah. To. And yeah. at the end of the day, like if I get to drink coffee that I really enjoy mm-hmm. at a way less price than what, like buying coffee, like at the end of the day, then that's yeah. worth it for me. So, um, we kind of relaunched during the pandemic, which forced us to kind of look. And also we never really wanted to, get back into serving coffee to people. Um, we had had some opportunities to take over coffee shops up here and things like that. And it's a different business. And I, I, totally. you can speak on it from a, more of a coffee and, and, and that service side, but even with owning a gym, it, it was, it's very different having to have like staffed hours. It's a service business rather than product and other, you know, kind of tied together. And, it, it just involves a lot more overhead and there's a lot mm-hmm. more going on there than just, you know, having, you know, the small space we're in where you can make everything in house and uh, not have to worry about as many factors, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think really in coffee, there's two ways that you can be successful and make money. Kind of how I view it. You're either going to do large wholesale quantity, which is, the work that goes into it it, or the hourly work that goes into that is minimal compared to like, or so you can do that, have wholesale accounts that are going to like sell 40, $50 of, or 40 or 50 pounds, excuse me, of coffee at a time. And then they're going to like hustle and serve the cups. Mm -hmm. Or you can have a lot of turnover and hustle a lot of cups of coffee. And so, and that becomes challenging for specialty because you want to create a really good product, but in order to do that, that takes time. And so like, how do you manage quick turnover, like drive through type model, Starbucks model of like press a button and it's here for you. Um, and so for me, I was like, man, I would so much rather roast really great coffee, allow other people that that's their specialty of hospitality, (laughs) like creating good coffee shops. And yeah, Yeah. like, 
And if I were to ever like find the person that came along and was like, man, that's my specialty, which is like hospitality and like setting up a great brew bar and doing all those things. And like, but I'm, I don't roast coffee. I'm not in that. Then mm-hmm. I definitely would like partner with them and like have a storyline shop, but, um, we just haven't found that connection. Um, and so, you know, I'm just content in creating a good wholesale business that also has like the subscription and education piece to it. Um, that is something I'm passionate about. Like mm-hmm. people would DM me on Instagram or text me all the time and be like, Hey, I'm looking at like espresso machines or, Hey, like I'm looking at a new grinder. What should I get? Mm-hmm. Or, Hey, there's like, what coffee maker should I buy? And I was like, man, I'm getting asked all these questions and I love answering them. I love people reaching out to me mm-hmm. on that stuff. I'm like, what if I created a way to push that education to people if they want it to where they can actually get an understanding of the processing methods of varietals, mm-hmm. the gear, the brewing, all that side of things, as well as like, Hey, here's a coffee mm-hmm. that'll kind of go along with that. So, yeah, I like that. Now, one thing I know absolutely nothing about when it comes to the coffee space is the actual roasting itself. Yeah. Now I understand. Okay. You're, you know, you're getting the, the green, the fresh beans, you know, from the farm after they're processed. Uh, and then, you know, you're going through the process of roasting them. But, you know, what are all the parameters that are on this machine in front of us? And, you know, what is, what is that process like? How do you roast something uh, different, like one coffee different from another? Okay, I understand like a lighter roast, a dark roast, a medium roast. But, like, what does that even mean? And I guess what are the intricacies without getting too crazy into it? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is understanding you get a coffee that may have notes of raspberry, fruit leather, caramel. So it's like, okay, so, and it's medium acidity, um, but high in body. Like, okay, well, if that's what the coffee is, and that's what we've cupped it as, then how can we roast the coffee to pull out those specific characteristics the best possible way? And so with that comes in like temperature, time, airflow. And so being able to, there's a lot of like probes in this. So there's a bean (laughs) probe, there's like an environmental probe. And so you're but is it basically those parameters, like you got your time, temperature, and you know, I see gas pressure on there, yep. air, gas, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, it really isn't as, I mean, you can, it again, can be complicated. It can, yeah, it can become incredibly complicated, <laughs> yeah. but once you have a basis understanding of how to roast coffee, a lot of it is, okay, how can we not impart anything negative into the coffee, and, you know, like, if we're going to have a higher heat input earlier and push the coffee for more momentum mm-hmm. to pull out more acidity and pour out more of those fruit tasting notes. Or if we're looking for a, like a heavier bodied coffee, we're going to kind of slow that down and allow it to kind of have a longer development time to then pull out some of those caramelizing notes, a little bit more sweetness and also to like balance those things, right? Like you don't want a coffee. So you're not trying to shape the coffee. You're trying to shape the roast around the coffee. Itself. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so I think you never, you never want to try to fight a coffee to like, okay, I want this coffee to do this because you're just going to, what we at least try to do is select coffees that fit what we're looking for. So if it's an espresso that like needs good body um, to kind of back it up and then some fruit notes to kind of give it something unique. Like we're going to roast that two separate roasts, one that's going to create a lot of like sweetness and body and creaminess to it. That's going to give it a good like baseline. And then we're going to add in something that's 
fruit forward and poppy like in Ethiopia, Mm -hmm. but also has that body to match it. And so we want to select coffees and then roast them in order to create what we want as opposed to like, you don't want to take an Ethiopia that's going to be really fruit forward and try to make it what it's not intended to be, I guess. So So that leads into a good question that I have about, because I'm a big single origin guy. I'm sure you are as well, Mm -hmm. but I don't demonize blends as well, but I don't tend to gravitate towards them. So I guess explain, you know, what is a single origin? What is a blend? How do you roast for blend? And however you want to carry that conversation or that question. (laughs) No, that's great. I think personally, I am a huge fan of even espressos to be single origin espressos. Um, Mm. In some of them, we've like for our wholesale accounts have given them single origin espressos to use for that because you really can have a coffee that is everything you need for an espresso um, as a single origin. And so blending, I think like our current Columbia, which is kind of what we recommend for a single origin espresso is amazing standalone, but adding in a coffee uh, like a Peru or like a Sumatra that has a lot of body and to it will give it kind of what it may be lacking in an espresso. Mm -hmm. And so the only time we really do a blend, which like we don't even sell any of our blends, it's just on our wholesale side of things that we'll Mm -hmm. do it. And I've toyed with the idea of like, well, should I, should I sell the blend online to our retail or not? But, um, so we then, will blend if we feel like we could make that espresso drink even better with another coffee added to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it more espresso focus and you still think for pour over single origins is going to be the best bet for most? I personally think so. Like I think if you're drink, if you're buying specialty coffee, um, I would recommend getting a single origin because that I think is what's fun about it, right? Like yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is the coffee. Yeah. This is, these are the tasting notes. You're not trying to be able to identify and pull out like, okay, this is the Ethiopia. This is the Guatemala yeah. that's in there. Yeah. No one's cupping blends. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so I think those single origins are unique in the fact that like, you know, you then can, like we did a Uganda that was both a washed and then a natural. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you can try our Uganda in the natural and here's, I like doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just the, the difference. Coffee. Yeah. And yeah. we even did to our subscription, like one coffee roasted three ways. Mm-hmm. And so we sent them like four ounces of like a coffee that was roasted darker, medium and light and mm-hmm. just showed like, Hey, this is the same coffee. It's mm-hmm. going to taste totally different from the light to the dark. And then the medium, which is, really kind of where I would have roasted it. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is the difference that we can have as a roaster to, uh, affect taste. Um, it's an opportunity for them to get educated too. Like it's almost like a little science experiment, yeah, you know, absolutely. they can really like taste it and see, okay, this is the difference. And I've seen it, you know, as you referenced, you've done it with two processes and other roasters I've seen, you know, we'll do it three processes. We'll do a natural wash and a honey, or, you know, you mm-hmm. mentioned an anaerobic fermentation process too, where you can kind of see like the same coffee, same farm, all those things are the same, but the, how the process, how the, how the coffee is basically dried and, and extracted from the, uh, the cherry, you know, it can drastically change how it tastes. Yeah. yeah. And I think specialty coffee, I think where it's headed is that experimental processing. Like we're, as an industry, I think really focused on processing methods and fermentation. I've seen a lot of strange ones out there. Yeah. (laughs) And like now there's like fruit fermentation where they're actually like adding fruit to the coffee cherries. And so, and I think like we've got to be as an industry careful 
of some of that stuff because, and again, like I'm all for being be a rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm all yeah. for being progressive and pushing the bounds of things, but mm-hmm. also like you don't want to get to a part where like you're just adding a flavor that's not naturally found in the yeah, coffee exactly. beforehand. We're totally against for the most part, like adding a raspberry syrup to it after the fact. So why are we doing it beforehand? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, you know, you kind of then look at, well, is that any different than, you know, adding like a lactic yeast yeah. to the coffee? Like that's not naturally found in there, but is seemed to be more accepted within the industry. And so, um, but I think processing methods is a lot of like where the industry is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the next kind of five years look like for that and how specialty coffee reacts to all those. Yeah. Um, cause you see it in wine, you see it in beer. Um, and so we're, I think always a couple steps behind those industries yeah. for kind of what they're doing. One question I have for you that I think is pretty unique and it's right in front of me is you ship out the beans and uh, jars rather than. Yeah. Uh, bags you, you've done bags in the past what what made you do make the shift um why the jars yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> the reason we did that is because what we would always do is we'd buy a bag of coffee and then we'd throw it in a glass jar because it better preserves it yeah. um it keeps it for longer and so i was like well most people do that on a basis they'll like cut out the front label and put it inside the jar anyways i'm mm-hmm. like why aren't we just selling jars to begin with like Why not, like, why expect that people are going to do this when we can just be that? And then Mm -hmm. if they buy a bag of coffee and keep our jar, they're probably just going to throw it in our jar anyways. Mm -hmm. And so, one, it's unique marketing. It's something different. You see a bunch of bags or boxes or different things or, like, some people do tubes. Yeah. But there's very few people that do jars. Um, We tried to, when we were in Denver, we actually were, like, the milkman for coffee. So we had glass jars and we would do, like, delivery service where when they finished those costs, they were, and that was the thing, like <laughs> they were kind of expensive. Um, maybe a dollar to a jar. Yeah. They were like yeah, a dollar, a dollar yeah. 50 a jar. Yeah. Um, so it's a little expensive, but nice like touch. shipping, shipping was impossible because yeah. like they yeah. break, <laughs> they're super heavy. Yeah. And so we went with the plastic one because like we reuse them. And so like we try to cut down on waste mm-hmm. of like not just throwing away bags all the time. Um, the plastic, obviously, like if we could find a way to ship the jars that wasn't like crazy expensive, we would do glass, but it's just, it's not practical. Mm-hmm. It's great branding and marketing in the sense that it's different and unique. Like mm-hmm. you don't typically see jars of coffee. And so, but yet if you go into someone's house, that's in especially coffee, like a lot of people have like a vacuum sealed container or like yeah. a mason so jar. I, I want to dig into that. So I, I recently got... Um, a vacuum sealed one from fellow mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I want, I want to dig into the freshness of coffee and get into all the different intricacies. Cause I have a bunch of questions about home brewing that yeah. either related to me or I know a lot of people ask and we start off with the freshness. So one thing that I, I mentioned earlier when I was brewing for that friend that I had on the podcast was, you know, he had, it was already pre-ground and so I, I was explaining to them, you know, there's a couple of things like one, to preserve freshness and you can explain the why, but you know, you want to ground as fresh as close to, you know, when you're brewing as possible. Another mm-hmm. thing is, you know, if you're buying beans off a you know, store shelf versus buying from someone direct like you, a lot of times it isn't roasted that close to the date. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that could be on the shelf six months ago and I, you know, you can correct me, but I feel like the, the proper, the best time to brew the coffee is between four to 12 weeks off roast, something like that. Yeah. So go ahead with that. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I think the like ideal time is like 
you don't want to really go sooner than two days after like roast. Yeah, I think that's the that's soonest that you want to do it. Um, and then that freshness peaks at two weeks. So, okay, it's two weeks. Okay, now yeah. yeah, yeah. So the ideal time is kind of that like you see peak freshness, peak ideal time post roast at two weeks. Okay. So anytime from two days to two weeks, you're going to, and then kind of like a week or two after that. So really two days to kind of a month is your yeah. ideal freshness time. And then it, it'll start to degrade kind of after that. Yeah. And it, it literally kind of is a graph that, will like a bell curve yeah ish. two yeah. weeks is going to be your primo you're going to start at least slowly degrade after that two weeks to four weeks and then you're kind of like past the point of where it's not as ideal you're going to get some i'm degrading. glad you corrected me i'm off i knew i knew yeah. i knew i was like in the right yeah, you direction, were right there <laughs> so and then so two questions i guess from that one uh touch on why it's important to ground it fresh yeah. buy it whole bean and then the other one is how does a uh, contraption like those uh jars like yep. not figuring out the term for it but the glass jars no, like that vacuum, vacuum there yeah. it is vacuum sealed jars yeah what, what do those do that uh you know even like your jar won't do yeah absolutely so for one you on most bags have a one-way valve yeah and for light or medium roasted coffee that's not to second crack and oily you don't need a one-way valve because you're not going to get off gassed Cough, like you're not going to get a bunch of off gases, which will then push its carbon dioxide being released from the coffee bean, mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing because oxygen is what degrades freshness in coffee. So when you grind your coffee, you're creating a ton of surface area for that oxygen to degrade the coffee quickly. And so in its whole bean form, you're not releasing those um, off gases, you're not releasing that carbon dioxide, keeping um, all the goodness in as long as you can. Yeah. yeah. And so when you do that, that's why you want to bloom your coffee, mm -hmm. um, because you're then releasing that carbon dioxide in that bloom, which then prevents the water, the hydrogen and oxygen in there to actually, um, extract your coffee. And so you want to bloom that to kind of release those, um, compounds from the beans mm -hmm. and then allow it to then brew after that fact. So the vacuum sealing is great is because it's removing as much oxygen as you can from okay. that. Um, and so we often get asked like, well, there's no like valve, like, is that bad for your coffee? Like, no, actually it's ideal because you're keeping in that carbon dioxide, which isn't really going to degrade your coffee over time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, but you're not getting that vacuum seal where you're pulling out auction. You're going to be opening that jar and closing it. Yeah, that's well, that's a really good point that you mentioned. I, I I assumed it wasn't a bad thing, but I'm glad you explained that because a lot of people probably would look at the jar and be like, "Whoa, it doesn't have the valve. Yeah, you know, it's not <laughs> like it's not fresh." Um, so I'm glad you explained that. Yeah. One question I would have, it's definitely a more personal one, is you know what is your process or steps you would advise for dialing in a coffee? So mm. you know, I get your Papua New Guinea, I come home. And I brew it. Okay, what what would be my steps after I brew it? I'm tasting it. You know, what should I be thinking about to, okay, maybe I need to adjust my grind setting. Maybe mm -hmm. I need to uh, brew it a different way. Maybe I need to, uh, you know, adjust even the ratio. How would you go about dialing it in a coffee? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost is to be able to properly taste and understand what you're tasting. And yeah. so, and that can... I think you've got to kind of hone in. I mean, I, we have like five or six coffees at our house right now. And, and I even struggle with this cause I'm like, 
I'll, I'm like, man, that sounds great this morning. And that sounds great yeah. tomorrow morning. And it becomes tough to like differentiate. Yeah. Because keep the keep best way to do it is to like, okay, you know, Monday I brew this coffee and it tastes a little bitter. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Is that because my ratio is too high and I'm brewing too much coffee for not enough water? And I actually need to kind of lessen that. So maybe I'm at a one to 17 ratio or excuse me, one to 16. I should be at a one to 17. Mm-hmm. Or is it that it's too bitter and that's because it's too fine of a grind mm-hmm. and I should coarsen it slightly. And so, you know, maybe the next day you coarsen your grind slightly and it tastes better. Like, okay, like that's great. I'm moving in the right direction. It's less bitter, but it still has some bittering aspects to it. Like, okay, I'm going to go to one in, one to 16.5. Yeah. So, so bitter would be, uh, it'd be over extraction, right? Correct. Yeah. So yep. over extraction, bitter, you'd grind finer. You would want to grind coarser. Coarser, coarser. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. in the the best way that I can... Because it's less surface area. Yeah, and the yeah. easiest way for me to explain it is, like, think about pouring water through sand or pouring water through rocks. Yeah. And so if you're pouring water through, like, big rocks, it's going to pour quickly. You're not going to extract less as extraction. much yeah. because yeah. there's less time that water's in contact with your coffee. Um, and conversely... That's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because in also, then you can diagnose time like, okay, this one took me five and a half minutes. It should be around four. Yeah. Like, well, that's a grind issue, like coarsen your grind so that that coffee can filter through that coffee also is probably bitter. Yeah. Um, because it's over extracted, it's sitting too long. It has too much time in contact. with. So would that that be your first way to troubleshoot is, you know, trying to address based off, uh, bitterness or, Mm -hmm. uh, the inverse would what be too acidic or is that along the lines of. The, yeah, it it could be like between the coffee almost like weak tasting. Weak, yeah. Um it's going to be kind of watery, watery under extracted. Okay. Um and so you know, or you're just not getting any body to it. So yeah, it's yeah. just acidic and yeah. it's like it's got nothing to kind of uphold the coffee. Yeah. Um that could be and what I would tell people is try to and again it's tough because you've got 12 ounces of coffee to work with. <laughs> you want to get the best out of it each time. Mm-hmm. Same thing with espresso, though, like focus on one variable, change one variable at a time. Another thing with home brewing that I want to dig into is uh, agitation. So for a while, you know, with a V60, right, you know, you can give it a little stir uh, a lot of times, you know, after the last pour or, you know, with I'll take, you know, very thin spoon I'll have and I'll dig a little burrow before I, you know, pour the Mm -hmm. bloom. Um, And then you can also, you know, stir with a spoon. What, What methods would you advise for agitation? Do you like agitation? What's yeah. too much? Where, where do you go with that? Yeah. So good question. I think it all depends. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's the kind of like hardest thing is you don't want to, I think the biggest thing people can do is over agitate their coffee to where you're like, if you're struggling to get your coffee to brew at a reasonable rate, like mm-hmm. agitating it or like lifting up the filter, which is common on Chemex that you see people mm-hmm. do because it's just taking too long, like, isn't always the best response. Like, um, I'm trying to remember who did it, but they did some like science-based evidence on like James Hoffman, I probably on like yeah. swirling and then agitating. Yeah. And so like for a V60, like one swirl and then like one stir is like ideal enough. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you're trying to do is like get centrifugal force to get your fines to that filter and like away from where the majority of your coffee is with that swirl, that agitation is going to break up any clumps. And I think really you can, 
use like a WWDT tool prior Mm -hmm. to brewing to kind of make sure that there's no clumps or just a small spoon. And that'll help alleviate once you wet your coffee grounds Mm -hmm. with water. Um, And so there's some ways to kind of like avoid those things beforehand to make sure you don't have any clumps. Mm -hmm. Also a high quality grinder that's not going to create a bunch of fines. But even over blade, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) and also you can like, there's coffee sifters out there that are like really affordable that like, I was actually really surprised because some of these tools and things that are like, is this just something that I'm doing because I'm told to do it? And does it have any impact on the taste? Mm -hmm. A coffee sifter actually like was one of the things I was like, wow, I actually can not sifting my coffee and sifting it like taste a difference Mm -hmm. because you're removing all those like really fines that are going to clog up your filter and, you know, not create a uniform grind throughout. And so like, that's something easy. You dump it into one of those, you shake it, you pour it in, takes two seconds. How important is a flatbed? Um, I don't. Because sometimes I feel like I overemphasize, oh, if it's a flatbed, this is going to be a good cup of coffee. And I go in with the expectation of that. Or, oh, if there's, you know, a little bit more of the grinds, um, you know, on the, on the side of the filters that, oh, I brewed a bad cup. Yeah. It's probably not the case. No, I would think like, I think there's other variables that are going to matter more. I think your pouring technique uh, is something that like can help mitigate that. And also keeping a level bed of water and coffee throughout to where you're not like letting it all the way drip down. Not pouring too high. Yeah. Okay. And not getting too high to where you're then getting like, you know, spillover where you're just getting water. That's actually just diluting your coffee and it's mm. not hitting that as opposed to, you know, sometimes like if you create that billow, the water is actually going into the bottom quickly. And then that kind of the edges kind of fold in. And Mm -hmm. it's like, if you just lay it flat and evenly distribute your water. um, See, I don't think it's as crucial, but again, I think what's fun about brewing coffee is like experiment with it, right? Like taste and see like, okay, this cup like is not even bad at the end at all. Like, did I notice anything from today to yesterday's cup of coffee? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, like it probably doesn't matter. And if it does like, okay, now, you know, um, and so you can kind of do those experiments at home, like, okay, does using a WDT tool to break up any clumps beforehand matter or does it not? Does Mm -hmm. a sifter matter? Does it not? Like even with third like you wave. said, kind of one variable. Well, yeah, that was the one thing I had on there. I didn't know if we want to get into the weeds with water, but but you could touch on it briefly. But yeah, just add one variable at a time, basically, yep. like you said, and see how that changes. Yeah, and like with your water quality, like use good filtered water. Mm-hmm. Um, we did this experiment with our subscription. We sent everyone third wave water and was like, mm-hmm. okay, brew a cup, like even two cups, same day, same exact method, same grind setting, use their way of water and don't use it doesn't matter. And for some people that are using like tap water or unfiltered water, I think it will matter. And it varies a lot too, because, you know, some towns have great water and others, you know, the hardness or all the minerals and it make a big, you know, bigger difference. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, you know, like find a good batch brewer that has a filter built into it or use good quality water up, up front. And I think you'll be set up for success. Um, but I do, I mean, coffee is 98% water, so yeah. it does matter. Yeah. Um, but to what level depends on your water. So 
what's next for Storyline? What are your kind of next big steps? I know you mentioned, you know, you want to make sure you're scaling at a more comfortable pace that you're able to sustain and maintain quality. But, you know, is the, is the goal to increase offerings? Is it to get more stores? Like what, what are your kind of audacious goals or next steps that you're keeping in mind? Yeah. So the three things that we really kind of focus on is one, we want to grow our wholesale, continue getting into shops, supporting, like being a really good service provider for those shops that are choosing to use us, whether that be providing them like education or training for their staff on like processing methods, varietals, how to educate their customers on the coffees that we're selling them and they're serving. Um, and then also to be able to grow that side of things is obviously one focus. The next is our subscription and retail side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, selecting and sourcing the best coffees we possibly can doing that at an affordable price to where it isn't this crazy expensive product that people are choosing to buy and burn through in Mm -hmm. six days. Um, but being something that provides education with that. So that's kind of where our subscription comes in. And, you know, we do videos about kind of all things, whether it be brewing or processing Mm -hmm. methods and, kind of educating that to where if you're interested on a topic, you get this educational content, a write-up, a video that helps you kind of understand what you may be interested in within specialty coffee. And then lastly, we started up the specialty coffee podcast where um, we interview, you know, some of like the biggest names in specialty coffee and just get a behind the scenes look into what they're passionate about, what they're doing, why they're, you know, like the founder of Onyx and the founder mm-hmm. of Sweet Bloom and like Fellow, the founder, you know, and like, what are you guys doing to push the industry? Where's the industry going? How'd you get into coffee? And um, that's fascinating for me. I love having those conversations and just getting kind of a peek behind the curtain into what that is. And so mm-hmm. those are kind of the three things that we're really focused on. And um, yeah, we're, we're excited for what storyline has, uh, coming in the future. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the podcast. Cause I feel like I was going to drop the ball and forget about that, but that's a great resource for people like myself that are very interested in, uh, okay, not only do I want to make the best cup of coffee, but like, you know, learning from the people that are in the industry that are, you know, I mean, I know you had a guy on that, uh, what is a, uh, I'm not going to use the wrong word. It's not ref, but he's a, uh, competition yeah, he's a uh, the World Barista Championship judge. Judge, judge. there it yeah. is, judge. I knew it, like ref was gonna be the wrong word. Yeah, but judge. But basically, just again, all things coffee. That's a great resource. But anyway, where can people find you? Storyline. Where can they get the goods? All that. Yeah. So Instagram, we're big on, which is Storyline Coffee Roasters on Instagram. Our website, which is storylinecoffeeroasters.com. Easy. Um, yeah, easy. The Specialty Coffee Podcast. And again, if you search Storyline Coffee Roasters, you'll find us there. Um, but yeah, that's where you can you know, join our subscription, get that content piece as well as the mm-hmm. coffee that comes with it. We also have a level where we send out coffee gear like mm-hmm. the sifters and all the things we've talked about on the show. So Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, make sure you guys hear the podcast if you enjoyed it. If you need or if you have any questions about coffee, Tyler is your man. And I will catch you guys in the next one.